your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 1, 2 Kings chapter 1. Some of you are familiar with the great basketball coach. This, has, this message has nothing to do with basketball, but uh, it has, I want to start it with this quote, and it's attributed to the great basketball coach, John Wooden. If you've been around basketball at all, you are familiar with that name. He's a coach's coach. And by the way, he, he died just a few years ago. He was a follower, a very committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made this famous statement, you've perhaps heard of it, the true test of a person's character is what they do when no one is watching. That's worth writing down or photographing or remembering. The true test of a person's character is what they do when no one is watching, and that's very true. We can, we can say we are a certain way. We can portray a certain way. We can act a certain way in front of some people, but the true test of a person's character is who they are, what they do when no one is watching, when no one else is around them. That's the real person. Now, that, can be, uh, that, that statement can be a very encouraging thought to you or somewhat of a disturbing thought to you. In a similar way, we're going to see this here this morning. In 2 Kings chapter 1, it will show us that the true test of a person's devotion is who they turn to in times of trouble. Just as the true test of a person's character is what they do when no one is watching, the true test of a person's devotion is who, or in some cases, what they turn to in times of trouble. So just ponder that for a moment. We'll come back to that. But, but who or what do you turn to in times of, of trouble? The king of 2 Kings chapter 1, and you, of course, it would, if the title of the book in the Bible is Kings, you know there's going to be a long listing of kings. And the king of 2 Kings chapter 1 is a is a man named Ahaziah. Ahaziah. Ahaziah, just so that you have a, a proper understanding of, the, uh, of the, the, the people from which he came, uh, he was the son, Ahaziah was the son of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, if you've been with us for some weeks as we've been looking at the life and the ministry of Elijah and began to look last week at the life of Elisha, that the, the names Ahab and Jezebel may be familiar to you. Ahab and Jezebel are quite possibly among the most wicked people in the entire Bible, recorded in the entire Bible. I mean, these people were first-class, wicked, and wretched. Now, by this time, both of them were dead. Both of them were dead, violently so. And when they died, when Ahab and Jezebel died, the world became just a little bit of a better place. You know a person's bad that the world becomes better when they leave the world. And that's the case here. And these people were wicked to the extreme. This is their son, Ahaziah. Verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 1 says this, Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria, and he injured himself. Now you may look at that and say, well, that's just kind of an incidental thing. What does that have to do? Why is that even recorded? Well, the specifics of Ahaziah's injuries are not recorded. We don't know if he ruptured a spleen or broke a hip or snapped his neck. We don't know exactly what it was. But his injuries were apparently life-threatening. It's not so much what happened to him, but it's Ahaziah's response to his condition that, that is most disturbing. Because verse 2 continues and it says this, So Ahaziah sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. You can imagine, here's this person, and he's in this state, and he, the, the future is very uncertain. He's probably in pain. His strength is ebbing away. His life is being sapped away. But it's his, the indication, it, 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 his, it's his response 
that is an indication of the spiritual condition, not only of this king, but of Israel at that time. This is the king, right? This is the, the chief executive. This is the, the ruler. And, and his response reveals the spiritual state of Israel. They were worshiping, <clears throat> they were worshiping false gods. They had given themselves over to idol worship, to the worship of pagan, false, non-existent gods. Now, now you think about that, how, how sad this is. You, this is, I've pointed this out before. These are the people that were delivered some centuries before, about six, seven centuries before. These were the people who had been delivered out of the, the polytheism, the, the paganism of Egypt. God had set them free, had, had shown the, the, the impotence, spiritual impotence of the, those false gods of Egypt by, by those plagues. Uh, this, this, these are the same people that some chapters earlier in that epic showdown between Elijah and the 450 pagan prophets of Baal, right, Baal, that, that you, would, you would think that, that, that these people would respond differently when, when those pagan worshipers prayed all day and nothing happened. But then when Elijah prayed for 20 seconds, the Bible records fire falling down from heaven. You'd think that, that every king after that point you would think that every king after that point would reject false gods and would worship the one true God. When, when, when something as dramatic as that happens and so many of the other things that are recorded in these, in these few books of the Bible, you would think that they would say, those, those, those false gods, there's nothing there, but there's something about the one true God. But that didn't happen. Right here, you see in verse 2, the king of Israel the chief executive of Israel consulting the Philistine god, false god, small g, Beelzebub. By the way, if that name, Beelzebub, sounds just a, a little bit familiar, and you may go, ah, I've, I've, heard that, I've heard that before, it's because in the New Testament, the, in the New Testament, Beelzebub, almost the same spelling, very, very similar, uh, it's really the same name. Beelzebub is regarded as the prince of demons under Satan himself. So you have Beelzebub in the Old Testament. Beelzebub, it's, it's, it's all. Uh, here's, here's, what I, here's what this tells us, that this false god, the Philistine god that he's turning to, is demonically inspired. By the way, I'm going to go so far as to say this, to, to our time, many of the false gods of this world are demonically inspired. If you were to trace back some of the, the images and the, the false gods, I, I believe that at, at its very origin, it was inspired by demons. Images made to demonic spirits. This is the case here. This shows us just how far this nation has slipped, how far this, this nation has, has rejected God, how far they have fallen. In, in a difficult time, here's the king, the king, the king who, who knows the history, the king who, who probably, hopefully is aware of what happened back in, on the top of Mount Carmel when fire came down from heaven you would hope that he would know that, but, but here's the king, and in a difficult time and with an uncertain future, the king sought comfort and direction and understanding in someone other than the one true God. Please do not miss that. In a difficult time with an uncertain future, this man turned to a false god rather than the one true God. You see, this is not written. Now, you have to understand, this here is not written in 2 Kings chapter 1 simply as a matter of history, right? So that we know the, the greater history of the, the northern kingdom of Israel. It's not why this is here. I mean, that's part of it, but that's really, there, there's a bigger purpose than that. It's for you and me. This, this, this line, this reference, this almost obscure 
mention of this is, is meant for us today because when we, when you and I encounter difficult times, and by the way, it's not when, it's not if we encounter them, but when we encounter them, right? When we encounter difficult times, when we encounter uncertain futures, and there's a great deal of that, when we need comfort or direction or understanding, who or what we turn to will reveal the person or the thing in which we place our trust. That's what this is telling us. That when we need comfort, when we need help or hope, when we need encouragement, who or what we turn to in that moment will reveal the person or the thing in which we put our hope, our devotion. Now, again, that, that's not just, that can be either really encouraging or it can be somewhat disturbing. Don't answer it for anyone else, but when you face an uncertain future, when you face difficult times, and you have, you are, some, right now, how, how do you respond? What do you turn to? I've, I've seen it, and I've done, I've done some myself, where, where you turn to something, and you just go, I just need distraction, and so I'm, I'm going I'm to go do this, and it's not necessarily evil, but just that's, that's how I, I deal with it, so I go and I do that. How many people in our world today, when they're facing the stress, the pressure, the discouragement, the hard times, how many people in our world will run to a, a bottle? That's how we deal with it. Or they'll go to another relationship. How many people, the, the, the first thing that they do is they call up a, a friend and say, I'm really going through it, I need help. Well, that's different than some of the other things that I mentioned, but how many people will, when there's this internal struggle, the first person they call is their, their counselor. Not bad things. How many people will, will say, I, I'm, I'm in so much pressure, so much stress right now, I know what I'm going to do, I'm just going to quit everything and start over, maybe another place or another person. How, how do you respond? How do people respond to the pressures of life, the uncertainty of life? How do we deal with these things? The true test of a person's devotion is who they turn to in times of trouble. Show me, show me what you turn to and I will show you who you are devoted to or what you're devoted to. Say, Pastor, does that mean that it... If he consulted a doctor, would that be wrong? No, of course not. But if we face a physical injury or a disease and the, the only hope that we have is in modern medicine, you're going to get to a point where there's no more hope. We have a lot of people in our church who are involved in the medical field you ask any of them, and, and they will be the first to tell you the limitations of modern medicine. There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor if you understand that beyond this, there's a God who is greater than any medicine and that any procedure. 
If the hope that you run to is your government, our government can do some things. But our government at any level is extremely limited. We serve a God who is beyond our government, who is bigger than any elected official. I find tremendous comfort in that. I thank God for our jobs, for our sources of income. I thank God for the the abilities that he's given you to do all of that. But your source ultimately is not that job or that investment. Your source is the Lord Jesus Christ. And who do you turn to? And yet so many people find their hope, their help, their strength, their encouragement, their comfort in someone or something other than Jehovah God. And this, this is what this man is doing. Now, Ahaziah, he's, he's in this place. He, his life is slipping away. He's wondering how much longer he has. And he says these things to his messengers. In, in there, in, in those verses that we read, he, he says this in, in the royal courts. He says this to his messengers, his emissaries. But God heard it. God misses nothing, right? He hears in, in, the, in, the, in the security and in the solitude of a king's court, God still hears that, wherever it might be. Verse 3 reads this way, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, so in other words, God heard what was said. God sent an angel who then spoke to Elijah. Angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers, or intercept them, is what was happening here. Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on, you you will certainly die. So Elijah went. So understand what's happening here. God hears it. He sends an angel to speak to Elijah. Elijah goes and intercepts these people as they're on their way to go and consult this God in Ekron, false God in Ekron. And and all of a sudden, here's this man standing before them who has inside information, and they don't know where he got it. He got it from God. He asked them the question, Do you, is, is God not good enough, Jehovah God not good enough for you that you have to go and consult this pagan, non-existent deity? And then he, and then he, he gives them the message, you're, your king's going to die. This is the end of him. There's no hope. He's done. So they go back and they, they tell the king. Now, we don't know if the king was angry or if he was fearful. They go back and they they relay Elijah's message word for word. And he said this, the king said this in uh, in verse 7, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, the messengers replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king, Ahaziah, said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. So Ahaziah knew about Elijah perhaps from previous interaction, perhaps he'd heard it from his, his now long-dead mother and father through his parents. Uh, Elijah had been a, 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 holy, a holy irritant to the royal family for years. Maybe, again, it was through some previous interaction, maybe through someone else, but Ahaziah knew it was Elijah. That's who that man was. Verse 9 says this, Ahaziah sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. It was was a royal command. They were to go. You have to understand when, when a king sent word, they were to repeat every word, word for word, what the king had said. And so this one captain and his 51, 50 men, 51 people, go to Elijah, and he says, man of God, the king says, come down, royal command. I want you to notice here, the captain, I'm sure according to the king's instructions, called Elijah, uh, please notice this, it's important, man of God. 
He said, man of God, the king says, come down. Man of God. Here's the thing. I doubt that the king really believed it. Now remember, this is a pagan, uh, a man who worships pagan gods, non-existent gods, false gods. When he says man of God, did he really believe that he was a man of God? Or was he just another person? But he calls him man of God. I doubt that he believed it. Israelite kings often referred to the things of God in word only. You remember this, they have this amazing history. He knew about Jehovah God, but did he really trust in Jehovah God? No, of course not. Had he trusted in Jehovah God, he would have turned to him immediately instead of Baalzebub. They used the references of God in, in, in terms of, 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 of name only. We call this lip service, saying it with the mouth, but not believing it from the heart. And this was Ahaziah. I, I want to add this in here. Friends, I, please, and this is for us, not for Ahaziah. He's long gone. Let's be careful how we refer to God or to the things of God. Be very careful how we refer to God or the things of God. I, I hear this sometimes with followers of Christ who've been following him for years, and in some cases for just a few months. But sometimes our reference to God is a bit flippant. We use the, the word God as an exclamation of surprise or frustration or anger. And, and I want to tell you, when you speak of God, speak of God. Be very careful how you reference God. Years ago, I was a kid, 15, 16 years old, and a British pastor came and visited our church and spoke. As was my parents' practice, we would always have the pastor and the, and the guest over. It just seemed like that's what my parents liked to do. And, and he came over, and you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm an American, and so you think, well, I know of some British phrases. And I said, uh, <clears throat> I said in the middle of the, the, the meal, I was ignorant, but I said, somebody said something and I thought I was, you know, I'm the youngest kid, so I'm a smart aleck. Uh, not, that's no offense to all any youngest kids other, but I, I am. And I said, by Jove, I think he's got it. That pastor stopped right in the middle and, and I he said, do, do you understand what you just said? And I said, uh, an English expression, by Jove, he says, that's a short for by Jehovah. He said, young man, and he was kind, but he said, young man, be very careful how you reference God. And I don't think from that time to this time I've ever used it except just by illustration. How many times do we say things about, and we say, oh, sometimes as a curse, Sometimes we, we use the name of God as leverage to get our way. You know, God told me to tell you, or God told me to do this. And God can speak to people and does speak to people. And if he does speak to people, then feel free. But you better make sure if God told you, and if you say it, you better make sure he actually did tell you. Be very careful. I've, I've heard people say things that were absolutely contrary to Scripture. Well, God told me that I can do this, and yet the Bible says it's wrong. I said, that's not God, and be very careful how you reference Him. One of the commands, one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. And sometimes we think that's only as a curse word but it is misusing, it is attributing to him something that he has nothing to do with. This man, this messenger said, man of God, the king says, come down. Lip service. Look at verse 10. Elijah answered the captain, 
if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. You know, I got looking at this. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, okay, there, there's, there's a, there's a, I see a bit of a pattern starting here. Um, a couple chapters earlier, uh, Elijah is on a mountain and uh, on a hill uh, called Carmel, and fire came down. Here it says he's sitting on another hill, and fire came. You know what? If Elijah's on a hill, don't mess with him. <laughs> fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. By the way, the word consumed means their bodies were burned up. They were not just struck dead. They were burned up. Word got back to Ahaziah, the king. He sent another captain and another 50 men. First ones didn't do it, we'll send another group. But this time with an added instruction. Instead of commanding Elijah to come down, verse 11 says, the captain said, come down at once. It's more insistent, it's demanding. This king is arrogant, this king is prideful. This king is, is, has become accustomed to when he says something, people respond immediately. I suppose that, that there's a danger of any person who has some kind of authority, who commands any degree, has any degree of command and order. I suppose the temptation is there for any person who, who, who is used to, be, to people responding quickly, but this was his case. He said, he said, come down, <laughs> essentially come down, do it quickly. He shouldn't have commanded God's servant. He shouldn't have commanded him. His eye could not command God, could not command God's servant because Elijah answered to only one sovereign. Elijah answered to only one sovereign. You can't tell God what to do. I know some people try, but you can't. Verse 12, Elijah repeated what he'd said to the first captains, word for word. If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And with terrifying speed, there was the same response from heaven. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 51. Listen, if anyone tells you lightning does not strike twice in the same place, you tell them the Bible says differently. Because that's what happened. Fire came down from heaven. Same way, same place. Look at verse 13. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. Uh, by the way, none of them were volunteers. Can you imagine these guys? Oh, man, they're writing notes to their, their wives and their girlfriends and saying, it's been great knowing you, baby. And they're thinking, I'm about to be fricasseed right here. None of them volunteered. I, I need to add this. I need to add this. Um, I feel for these guys. I feel for them. And, and, and I need to add that th this, this serves to remind us that when persons of influence disobey God, many others can be negatively affected. I feel for these now 150 people. I, I really feel for the 102 people that already died. You know why they died? They died because of an arrogant king. And, I, and I'm reminded that when persons of influence are misdirected, when persons of influence turn their, their backs on God, a lot of people can be hurt. Lucas and Miranda, you were just up here a moment ago. Lucas, there are going to be times as a father, Miranda as a mother, that, that, that you're going to say, I'm tempted to do this, but I'm not going to because of my son. Because my child will be affected 
if I choose the wrong way. See, there's authority there among parents. Some of you, parents, grandparents, bosses, teachers, business owners, leaders in some capacity, persons of influence in some place, never listen to the lie that your choices will affect only you. They won't. There's 102 smoking bodies on a hillside because one man said, I will not listen to what God has. I will go someplace else. So this third officer and third group of 50 men, as far as they're concerned, they're walking to their death. But here the pattern changes. Verse 13 again. This captain went up and he fell on his knees before Elijah. Smart man. Now please understand, he was not worshiping Elijah. He didn't didn't think that he was God. He wasn't worshiping Elijah. He was just humbling himself before Elijah and before Elijah's God. I'm reminded of the verse in Psalm 51. Great, great psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, verse 17, which, by the way, was written long before this episode. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And here's this this third officer. We don't know his name. We don't know his identity. But he falls before the man of God. He humbles himself. We sang earlier, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. Man of God, he begged. Look at that. Man of God, he begged. I think captain number three really believed that Elijah was a man of God. When he said man of God, he believed he was a man of God. More than that, he believed in the God this man served. Man of God, he begged. Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all of their men, but now have respect for my life. And God, who is merciful, extended mercy. And I'm reminded now that even though there's still a king who is over this man, and that this man, by even bowing before this prophet, could be in danger himself of losing his own life when he goes back to the king. This man says, in his actions, there is an authority that is above any man. There is a a king who is over any king. I need to say this. And folks, this doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter who's in office or what party they're a part of. We serve an authority greater than any elected person. We, see, we serve an authority who is greater than any government, any king, any dictator. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when it comes between obeying an earthly leader and the King of kings, always choose the King of Kings. Regardless of what may come our way. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. 
So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. Here's the thing. When Elijah now goes to Ahab, as Ahab had wanted, but here when Elijah goes to Ahab, it wasn't because some two-bit potentate summoned him. Elijah went to him. Elijah went to Ahab at the command of the king of kings. We serve a greater authority. We serve a holy God. Many years ago, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. In some of your cases, you gave your life to him before I did. Many in recent years, some of you in recent months and weeks. Glory to God. But if this morning you happen to be here and you've never surrendered your life to the King of Kings, I want you to do so today. Before we go any further, a little bit unusual, would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes. Is there anyone here today? I feel like I need to do this. Is there anyone here today that would say, that would say, I have not yet surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just right now, sermon's not done, but would you just raise your hand and catch my eye and I want to pray with you right now, right where you are. Is there anyone here that would say, yeah, today I want, to, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want him to be my king. I've been following too many other places, too many other persons. I've been finding my source, my hope, my help in someone or something else. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone here? The balcony? Lift up your heads. Elijah went and he told the king to his face what God had said. <laughs> word for word. And the king died. Just as God had said. What does this tell us? That our help and our hope is in him alone. Our help and our hope is in You're going to go through it. Some of you are going through it right now. You're going through the stress of a lifetime. You're going through the battle of a lifetime or maybe the biggest battle you faced in some time. Sometimes there's a temp temptation to go and find our hope and our help and our comfort and our strength and our provision in someone or in something else. Would you turn to God? our musicians if they'll make their way to the front. We're going to sing a song called Your Great Name. But our help and our hope must be in Jesus Christ alone. I'd like you to stand with me, please. In just a moment, we're going to close and these altars are going to be open as they almost always are. And this morning, if perhaps in some way you found yourself placing your hope, your help, your comfort in someone or something other than the Lord Jesus Christ, please come. Just, Lord, make a recommitment. A few moments ago, we gave opportunity for persons to make a first-time commitment. A little while ago, you saw two young parents making a commitment to raise their son to be a man of God. Maybe this morning you just need to come and say, Lord, at this altar of prayer, I, uh, I'm reminded that you alone are my help, that you alone are my hope, that you alone are my comfort. So these altars are going to be open. We're going to close with this song. 
before we do that, as soon as this song is done, feel free again to come forward. Or if you need to go, feel free. But we're just gonna we're gonna close in prayer and then sing. And uh, thank you. Let's let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word, for speaking to us today. For a man named Elijah who trusted you. Thank you for that example. Thank you for recording the example of a man named Ahaziah who found his hope and his help in something else. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us, Lord, to be like that, that nameless, known only to you, captain of that third group who, who said, I will, I will bow my knee before the one true God. I will place my trust in him regardless of what comes. I pray that we would be those people, Lord. In the coming week, in the days ahead, we need your strength and we need, your, we need to understand that you alone are our source. Help us, Lord. Help us as we encounter these things, as we face some things this week that we did not see coming. We feel overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. Lord, may we run to you. May we run to you when injury comes. May we run to you when family tension comes. May we run to you when a, when a lost job happens. May we run to you when something comes and some trauma hits us. May we run to you. For you alone are our help and our hope. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing this together.